As businesses continue to navigate uncertainty, unlocking the potential of people remains a major priority for business leaders. Understanding the future of work, how to support employees in this new hybrid world, and unlocking the right skills to support future growth are just three of the many things on the priority lists of HR leaders. Welcome to the Workday Podcast. I'm Greg Thomas, and today I'm joined by Tim Good, Senior Managing Director for European Talent and Organization and the Human Potential Lead at Accenture, to get his thoughts on how HR leaders are tackling some of the most pressing people-related challenges today. Tim, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Good to meet you, Greg. Uh, so just as we, as we start, um, maybe share with our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and, wh- and what you do today at Accenture. I'd love to. So uh, Tim Good, my name. I am originally from the UK. I was born there and uh, grew up uh, there and studied there. And it's actually, I have an interesting background. So I studied music, which is not necessarily the most natural uh, route into Performing or professional theory services. Or? Um, all of the above, actually. So I was uh, I had an organ scholarship at, uh, at Oxford and... Uh, in my day, I was responsible for running the music in the uh, in the chapel choir. Oh, that's and, wonderful! Uh, playing the organ, the piano, and various other things in between. Oh, we should have you redo our intro music for us. <laughs> I was going to say maybe we maybe we do another podcast just on uh, just on that. But uh, no, I, um, I I decided um, sort of towards the back end of my studies that I would uh, do something different. Um, I uh, I didn't feel I wanted to be a sort of performer at that particular juncture, and. Um, uh, as an act of sort of, I guess, rebellion as well. I come from a family of teachers, and so teaching was the other sort of natural opportunity. And despite the fact that they were all super successful and great teachers, I just wanted to do something different. And um, uh, I uh, happened upon this conversation with uh, with, with Accenture, uh, and the rest is history. So I've been with uh, with Accenture for 22 years. And um, for the last few years, I have been responsible for leading our talented organization business in Europe. It's our people business, so it's the part of our business that's focused on everything from change um, to engaging with chief HR officers, chief, chief people officers and their teams to really drive change in the organization for people. And um, I always often say I think I have the best job um, in Europe, because it is just truly centered around people, my own team, but also my clients' uh, teams and their people as well. That, that's fun. And as you said, at Accenture, you're working with organizations on, on their people challenges and their HR transformations to harness the power of the people that they have. Um, it, it's a very hackneyed phrase at this point, but the last several years have been, we, we will use the word, unprecedented. Um, how do you think about the main challenges that HR leaders and HR teams are facing today? And what, and what do you hear from your clients? No question. We've been living through and continue to live through times of unprecedented change. And for me, that is the reality that all of us will face going forwards. That's the world that we, we live in. When you reflect what this means for HR, I think there's been two specific things that, that I would call out. On the one side, it's been incredibly moving, actually, to see the way that chief HR officers, chief people officers rallied around their people um, during the pandemic and then post-pandemic, especially here in Europe with some of the uh, you know, incredible challenges that we've faced owing to the war in the, in the Ukraine. And to see the way in which sort of compassion, compassion has come to the surface in organizations, to see the way in which organizations that really got this right, and I think the majority did, put their people first and thought about what they had to do to care for their people, um, has been a 
huge tenant of what we've seen over the last few years. And I think it's fundamentally changed the relationship that HR or the people function has within the organization and also with the executive team in the organization with the C-suite and, uh, and, and with the board. The other thing that's going on is in all of the, the surveys that you look at and in all of the dialogue that's out there, there is an acute talent shortage. And if you listen to what CEOs are saying, they're actually saying, you know, the biggest risk point to my business right now isn't so much what's going on in terms of the macroeconomic environment, but it's actually around having the right people with the right skills in order to be able to execute on the opportunities that I have in front of me. And that's the other side of the equation in terms of what HR leaders are dealing with and working with every day. Yeah, um, I, I, I think the level of empathy that was largely shown by the business community r really has been spectacular. And it, you know, I know personally it took what could have been a, a very, very challenging challenge on top of the health side of the pandemic and, and just sort of made it a, a non-issue, which I, I'm really grateful for. And we'll come on to skills in, in, in a bit because um, it is, it is a, a fascinating topic unto itself. But when, when you think about that talent shortage and you think about the fact that we're, we're now more into this hybrid world, the future of work is actively being shaped uh, and it looks very different for different organizations, I imagine. How does everything that you talked about, that empathy and compassion, uh, while facing this talent shortage and having the right skills, how do organizations carry forward to, to sort of address those, those kind of cross currents? One of the things that organizations need to do is, especially when it comes to the you know, so-called notion of future of work, is I think sort of take a step back. And you, you saw this at the start of the pandemic, that it all became about, you know, how do I enable remote working? And then the sort of discussion moved on to a very formulaic, okay, if we can now be back and have some physical presence, what's the balance of that physical presence? You know, is it X number of days in an office? Is it Y number of days outside of an office? What we've tried to do in Accenture and certainly what I consider to be leading practice around this is to um, be far more fluid around it and actually put the employee at the center of it and recognize that no one person is the same. And actually what you need to get to is you need to get to a, 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 an infrastructure, if you like, or a sort of enabling set of um, behaviors or values that allow people to perform to the absolute best of their ability and bring them whole selves um, into the workplace, wherever that may be. And that will change and that will flex over time. And what works at a particular moment in time for someone may not work six months, 12 months down the road. Equally, you still have to be and recognize the business need. And so it is wonderful um, this week to be back with human beings, to enjoy all of the things that are great about human nature, being able to interact with each other, watch people smile, share a private joke, um, pick up a theme spontaneously off the back of a discussion that you've had with someone. And all of that is much harder in a fully remote setting. So we are no question about it in a, in a, in a, in a hybrid world, in a world where we have an omni connection point um, through so many different angles and lenses. Um, but I think that's a tremendously exciting time if you're open to it. Yeah, and, and just reflecting on the, the first part of your answer, this, this idea of really 
putting that employee at the center. You think about a large organization, that's potentially hundreds of thousands of people with individual needs and individual approaches to work. That's a, that feels like a very different way of thinking about the workforce. As you said in the back half of your answer, there's still a business to run. We still have business needs and objectives that need to be met by the company, the team, the individual. But that's a, it's, it almost feels like a different kind of contract, if you will, in, in, in sort of a social sense between the employer and the employee to, to allow for that individualism. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, you know, and it comes down to a couple of fundamental things. I think on the one side, you really have to work with your line managers, your line leaders, um, so that they are confident in navigating this environment. And this doesn't necessarily come naturally to all of them, but you want to get to a point where you have a trust-based dialogue between the employer and whoever they, uh, sorry, the employee and whoever they report to, so that you together can figure out what the right path is in order to excel in what your you know, mm -hmm. business objectives are, but also find a way of doing that that actually balances your own um, individual need. The other thing that I think has changed is that HR's role in all of this, the people's function role in all of this, has been really to move away from compliance very much more towards enablement. Yeah. Um, and again, that comes back to trust, but it, it, is, it is sort of, you know, truly unlocking then the potential that lies within the organization and its people. Yeah, and there's a lot that needs to be in place for that enablement to be successful. I imagine there needs to be, you know, a more clearly articulated perhaps company strategy and purpose and what this what my team is responsible for, what my contribution is in all of that. And all of that is is to the good, but it's it, it feels like a very different mindset than as you said, a compliance kind of mindset. It isn't tick the box and do these things. It's here's what we're trying to achieve. How do I how do I enable you and empower you as an individual employee to go excel in those things. I, I think that's right. And I mean, one of the things that the, the way I tend to think about this, both with my own teams, but also when I'm having these conversations with, with, with clients, is to think of this far more in terms of outputs rather than inputs. So you mm -hmm. actually say, you know, I'm going to trust you um, to do the right thing here. I'm going to, you know, enable you as much as I possibly can with having the right skills, with having the right tools, um, with building the right environment to succeed. But actually how you get to that goal ultimately, I'm pretty relaxed about, you know, providing you don't do anything, you know, stupid along the way, or you don't do anything that's non-compliant, clearly right. that's- I Focus on that's the what instead of the how. That's, that's right, yeah. And, and, and I think by doing that, you know, to, to come back to what I, I said a couple of minutes ago, I think that's how you unlock human creativity. That's how, you move from something that's sort of very process-driven, formulaic, into something that's far more, I go back to my music analogy, it's far more jazz than it, than it is something <laughs> scripted. That's right, that's right. Yeah, and, and I think the term empowerment is, is, is a little trite in, in modern usage, but that's what you're sort of talking about is, uh, give me the tools, and the and the trust to to do my job and and I will in turn deliver and 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 be more satisfied as as a result of that. Um, so let let's shift the conversation a little bit towards skills. Um, you've talked in the past about this these notions of untapped talent and, and hidden workers. There's there's clearly a big shift happening across probably the entire working landscape in in you know different pace towards the notion of skills as, as a way of thinking about the talent, thinking about the jobs that need to be done and the like. Talk about skills and how you see that evolution happening. 
Certainly. I mean, this is this is obviously a, a, a huge topic, but um, you know, it is one of the key topics of um, of today. I think the first thing to say is that um, the reason why I like the emphasis on skills is that it's moving the dialogue both in terms of external talent acquisition, but also internal talent mobility. Um, away from something that was designed to really filter out to something that's designed to filter in. Mm. And instead of having a, you know, a broad base set of uh, competencies or instead of having a specific sort of rigid set of criteria, I mean, a good example of this is, you know, you need to have a university degree in economics. Um, and and perhaps order. from a specific set of universities. That's right. Even worse, from a specific set of universities in order to even get into the entry for a discussion around this. When you take a step back, that's incredibly narrowing. And I mean, again, I, I reflect it back to my own situation. And I, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate, um, both in terms of where I grew up in life and in terms of you know, what I do now. You know, someone made a decision at some point to filter in someone with a music degree and consider them for a position in a professional services firm. Now, if you extend that concept and you start to actually challenge yourself on this, there are so many people that we could bring into the workforce that actually want to work. And, and we, you know, we did a lot of research on this um, in Accenture about 18 months ago with, with Harvard on hidden workers, both in North America, but also in, in Europe. And um, what you see throughout all of that research is that all of this population, this group of people, have tremendous talents, they want to work, but they just can't find the way into it. And so that's why it's important to, to start to look at skills. And by doing that, what you're able to do is you're able to, you know, to change the conversation and look far more broadly in the organization, but also external to it. Yeah, it does feel like a very fundamental shift and, and one that just reflecting on what you were saying, Tim, it, it, it changes the conversation in, in sort of not just a meaningful way, but in, in, in what feels like a progressive and forward-leaning way. Uh, because, because skills is such a broad thing, if you will. That's not exactly the, the best word for it, but I have uh, young adult children and, and one of them who's just entered the workforce, one who's on the cusp of graduating from university. And, and they don't quite have that sense of I have skills, but you do, you know how you, you're honest, you know how to show up on time, you want to put in an honest day's work. Uh, and of course, you've learned some things at university and through some of the work experiences that you've had. And that that would not show up in the same way in a traditional resume sort of format. But when you shift the conversation towards what am I able to do? And then what and based on what I'm what I know and what my skills are, what what might those adjacencies be? It, it's a very different way of thinking about about human potential. I think that's right. And what it does is it allows you to then start to have a conversation with the individual as well around their own development and their own aspirations. And as human beings, if we continue to do the same thing for a long period of time, we get bored. You know, we are, we are naturally inquisitive people. And if you look at that within the context of an organization, you know, what happens when an employee starts to become bored? Well, you know, they, they disengage. And they start to look for areas of engagement externally, elsewhere. And before you know it, they've left your organization and you've missed out on, a, on mm -hmm. an incredible opportunity to let that person grow in your organization alongside of you. So, you know, this is, this is about also at its heart, I think, fulfilling a basic human need, which is that sort of inquisitive nature and that desire to continue to, 
to move forwards. That's right. It's almost it's filling almost like a a basic psychological need as opposed to just a, a need to 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 put food on the table and provide for one's family. That's it. Let's shift a bit to to culture. Some of what we've been talking about is 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 very much probably rooted in how a company thinks about culture. You know that shift towards trust uh, or or being more trustworthy towards employees. The shift towards skills. How should HR leaders be approaching? culture given everything that's happened over the past few years in the world and continues to happen and, and what are you what do you view as the key components of building and, and and sustaining a healthy organizational culture we did a lot of work around this uh in in accenture um we we published some research which we called um care to do better or net better off um working alongside of um one of our um one of our clients we were working with um uh, with them on this, and we boiled this down to six fundamental things that, that 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 humans need in the workplace. And I think this is a really good set of things to, to you know to to guide on and reflect on and think about. The first one of those is is basic financial needs. So ensuring that an employee is taken care of financially that is actually important. Um, and it's not about you know trying to ensure that everyone earns the absolute top dollar best salary that's out there with the greatest compensation package. It's it's ensuring that someone you know has the basic need taken care of so that they you know we're not waking up in the middle of the night thinking oh my goodness I can't pay for the, the critical things I need in my life you know heating um, security um, bringing up my children etc. Um, the second of those is around um, emotional and, and, and mental care. So actually caring for the individual's emotional needs. And linked to that is, um, is relational needs. So we often ask, you know, do people have a best friend at work? You know, can I bring my whole self to work? Can I actually, you know, talk openly at work around what's going on in the workplace, but also outside of work? Um, there's a physical need um, that we need to think about as employers. So that's ensuring that people... Um, are, are taken care of physically, that you know, their health and well-being is, is put to the fore. Um, there's a piece, and you touched upon this, Greg, earlier around purpose. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, is this purposeful? Are my values as a human being aligned to the values of this organization? And, and, and this is a very, very hot topic right now, especially as we look at some of the transitions going on um, across the you know the business world and uh, and beyond, especially when you look to things like sort of the um, the sustainability agenda. You know, what's my company's position on its carbon footprint? What is my um, company's position on the ESG agenda, and so on? And then, um, last but by no means least, and this is where it sort of ties back to skills, is employability. So, is my em employer today? giving me the space to actually grow as an individual so that I will be able to learn new skills, try new things and develop within the organization and potentially, if it's the right thing, develop beyond the organization and then maybe come back because we mm -hmm. know that you know, a job is not necessarily for life anymore in the way that um, we, we used to talk about it. So I think those six things are a really good set of reference points on all of this and then you can figure out what that means within the context of your own organization yeah we, we could do 30 minutes on on each of those six that's a wonderful list um how do you talk to your clients about where to focus in as they as they assess their own cultures they, they probably are doing better on some and and less well on others is there a prioritized list that you think about focus here first or is it truly individualized to each organization it, it's truly individualized i mean what we what we found in the research 
much is that the organizations that are placing an emphasis on these six things are the ones that are excelling from a business performance perspective. And there's a clear, without going into all the detail of it here, there's a clear correlation between that. Now, there will always be a degree of variability from organization to, to organization on this and the emphasis that you place on it. But I think what the, um, what the pandemic has taught us is that we, we really do need to double down, I think, on that. I would say that relational one um, because I think that relational one is the key to actually having an open dialogue, you know, to unlock the others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a key to understanding the person with you. I mean, it's at the very heart of human, you know, beings' life. Well, we're it's communication. Creatures. We're social creatures. And sometimes I think we just forgot how to do the social bit in the workplace. You know, we we got into this very strange world of, you know, I'm going to give you a list of tasks. They need to be done by, you know, this time. If they're not more done, transactional. Yeah, that's right. And there's going to be a penalty that you have to pay if you don't get them done. And and we, we know that that carrot and stick thing doesn't work. I mean, I have four kids and you can forget the carrot and stick thing. Trust me, you know, I tried it. It just doesn't work. But when you actually take more time, when you actually engage on a human to human level, that's, I think, where the, the magic starts. So, you know, if, if I had to pick yeah. One of the six where I often start with clients, it would be uh, it would be there. Well, and I think it's 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 fascinating that that's the one you chose because, as you said, they're all important. But there's also been a fair amount of research coming out of the pandemic that for those workforces and those workplaces where where remote working was possible, the the strong ties within your team and your direct working group by and large seem to have come through the pandemic reasonably well, but those those looser ties, that sort of circle beyond the people that you would run into in the kitchen or the hallway, those proverbial sort of conversations, mm-hmm. turns out that they did actually happen and they did actually matter. And those are the relationships that seem to have suffered the most over the last three years. I think that's right. And honestly, I, I, I think from a personal perspective, those were some of the conversations that I really missed myself. I mean, I, I do consider that I was in a very fortunate position through the pandemic um, through through one well for two simple reasons actually so uh, you know first first and foremost I always sort of you know felt a comfort because I was living in a country with a phenomenal healthcare system and I was I'm not in a risk group and no one in my family thank goodness was in a in a risk group um, the second thing was um, I live in a in, in a house so we had a degree of space we had a garden and we live on the edge of an enormous forest so we had all of this sort of open space that we could go out into and still enjoy nature and uh, you know I think if I'd been cooped up in a very small apartment in the center of a city it would have been a different experience and then the third was I had my family around me you know my my wife was there my four kids were there and you know no matter the level of sort of stress that they're brought there was never this sort of feeling of of loneliness or isolation because mm-hmm. there was always some action going on you know even after a long day there was a a lego model to be built or even you know a, an argument to be sort of arbitrated and uh, right. a discussion over who's loading the dishes tonight th- yeah th- yeah that's right and um and and i think that was um i feel frankly very privileged to have been in that position and been able to navigate through that yeah way. i i i agree with that wholeheartedly i it was 
it, it was not a, a fun period of time, but in the grand scheme of things, I have nothing to complain about. I feel very blessed for myself, for my family, that we, that we came through it okay and that we had one another and, and had the support of an employer to, to, to do what was necessary at the time. So let's, as, as, we, as we round the, the turn towards home, um, you, you touched on ESG, uh, which is clearly an area that's getting a lot of focus across the, the world of business, different talk of different regulations coming into place in different parts of the world. What role do you see HR playing in the ESG conversation as it advances over the next period of time? HR within this has a leadership role to play. There's no question. Um, whether it needs to lead on the entirety of the agenda, I think is probably you know, open to discussion within it is a, a particular- It's a quite broad set of topics. It, it's a broad set of topics and, and, and organizations will make different choices on this. So for example, um, you know, you've seen the rise in, in many organizations of um, functions specifically dedicated to, if you like, the sustainability part of the equation. And I think that's absolutely right. And for, for many organizations, um, the kind of challenges that they're facing with, you know, around sustainability are fundamental to what they um, what they do. I think when you look more on the um, you know the people dimension of this, where HR has a role to play is um, it has a role to play in terms of building that um, that that open culture. Coming back to what we were talking about before, and ensuring that um, the workforce is ready in terms of the way that it is actually built, but also in terms of the values that it has to be able to support all of the agenda in its, uh, in its entirety. I mean, for me, the whole ESG debate discussion, um, I mean, is just so welcome because I've always believed that as an organization, when you are more inclusive, when you are more diverse, when you're more equitable, you just increase the possibilities of what you want to do. I mean, if you were so arrogant to sit there and think that, you know, if you're selling widgets, you can do that, you know, as a group of white men, um, then you can forget it because you've just already, by nature of being a group of white men, alienated a whole section of people that could be there. And, 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 and you just have a more limited perspective. You have just, a more just, limited perspective. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not an inherently bad thing necessarily. It's just that you, you only have the perspective that you have as an individual human. And if everyone around you is plus or minus the same as you, then that's the perspective you bring and it's not broad enough. That's right, that's right. And, and, and I think it's, um, you know, that's the, the part of this that HR has to play. And I think for the most part, we are, you know, I, I'm seeing some wonderful, wonderful examples of this and they are inspiring. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's diversity with a capital D, um, clearly in terms of ensuring that, um, you know, you are as an organization you know, truly diverse in terms of the cultures that you embrace, in terms of reflecting the societies that you're in. Um, but it's also, I think, sometimes diversity with a small d, um, coupled with that, which is ensuring that you've got thought diversity in there as well, so that you don't have, um, you know, all of the people coming from the same backgrounds. I mean, again, going back to what we were talking about before, from the same schools, from the same universities, um, you want to have thought diversity in the mix as well, because that's what's going to take the organization forward ultimately. Yeah. Well, and again, to tie back to, to what you were saying earlier, in order to have that, you also need to have that trust. You need to have that environment in which people feel like they can voice an opinion that perhaps is cutting against the grain or, or you know, doesn't agree with the other people at the table. And so it all sort of fits together quite nicely. That's right. No, I, I think um, fostering an environment that is, that is psychologically safe um, so that you can have that conversation is very, very important. And 
I'm a, I'm a real fan, and again, maybe this comes back from my, my musical roots, but ensuring that you know, even the most, the, the, the most quiet voice in the room gets heard. I spent, again, we could do another podcast on probably on music, but um, I spent a good degree of my, um, of my time working with orchestras and with choirs, and you know, it's sometimes not necessarily um, listening to the loudest thing in the room, which, you know, depending on your viewpoint, is probably a brass instrument. Um, sometimes you really want to actually listen and find out what's going on with flutes and so on and so forth, because if that's going awry, then sooner yeah. or later it's yeah uh, we, we, it's we should reconnect stuff. yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of dynamic range in music it's nice to hear everything and not just uh, not not just like you said the brassiest and loudest things um, so i did not see you carry a crystal ball in the room you might have one in your case in the other room but as you look ahead over the next pick your time frame year 18 months two years uh, we've covered a lot of ground but what what are the trends you think uh hr leaders really need to be keeping their eye on again i'll i'll almost finish where I, I started on this the this the skills agenda is huge and the reason why that is huge is i believe it is the the route to unlocking um the talent challenges that ceos are facing so the only way that we're going to you know you're not going to be able to hire your way out of the problem anymore the talent simply isn't there so we're going to have to place a huge amount of emphasis on internal mobility um, on lifelong learning and that's how we're going to build the skills that we need to tackle what i think are actually you know when you step back from you know all of the challenges the world's got um you know, some really inspirational stuff. So if you think about energy transition, if you think about where we're going with healthcare, um, and you think about building the skills that we're going to need to serve that, that is, you know, really, really exciting. And then the other thing that organizations, leaders, HR, people leaders are going to need to do is to ensure that they build that inclusive culture to get there so that that quietest voice in the room is heard. Because oftentimes, that's the voice that's going to provide the most value in the discussion. It's a wonderful place to leave it. We've been talking with Tim Good from Accenture about HR trends and the future of work. I'm Greg Thomas. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to hear more, you can find all of our podcasts at workday.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for listening and have a good workday. day.